Hello, I'm Tom Cutner. I'm an attorney representing the Walt Disney Company, and I'd like to make the following legal disclaimer. The following episode of Unbuilt is about an unbuilt Wizard of Oz land at Disneyland. It has no relation to the 1939 Warner Brothers' own film, The Wizard of Oz. While the film was represented in the 1989 attraction, The Great Movie Ride, this was done under a contract that does not apply to anything else but said attraction. This Wizard of Oz land is based on the 2013 James Franco-starring Sam Raimi-directed film Oz the Great and Powerful, and not on the 1985 Oz sequel Return to Oz, made when Disney purchased the film rights to the book series, but not the 1939 film The Wizard of Oz in 1954. When Disney relinquished the rights in the late 80s, the material went back into the public domain. However, the copyright on the 1939 Warner Brothers film is not in the public domain, and therefore any similarities to this Wizard of Oz land or Oz the Great and Powerful contain are merely coincidental. So, the film begins at a 4-3 aspect ratio and in studio tone, and then shifts to color and has a green Wicked Witch, but the Wicked Witch by Mila Kunis has a different shade of green than that of Margaret Hamilton from the 19th 39 Warner Brothers owned film. In this proposed Oz land, the spiral on the yellow brick road shall not look identical to that of the 1939 Warner Brothers owned film, nor do the Munchkin's houses. Ruby's slippers are for bits from appearing as they are original to the 1939 Warner Brothers owned film, and not the original Frank L. Bomb series. Daniel Finn also does not have the right to use over the rainbow in any capacity, as this is the strict property of Warner Brothers. No will the land include this in its You may now proceed with the episode. Welcome, dreamers of all ages, to another episode of Unbuilt, an unrealized theme park podcast. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Ryan Dorman. We, uh, we're ready to uh, go over the rainbow today. You saved the best for last. Mm. <laughs> are, you an, are you an Oz fan? No, absolutely not. I, I, yeah, I, I'm an, I, they, they call us Oz heads. Yeah. They call us... No, I, I've seen the original movie once. <laughs> Just once. Now, did you see it as a child? No, you know what's funny? I saw Return to Oz as a child. Oh, it's I saw for life. the other one when I was like fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was I was like just old enough that I didn't care. Because if I if it was like nowadays, I would oh, it's film history. And if I was like a kid, it was oh it's fantasy. But I was fifteen. I hated everything. Mm. I was like, this sucks. <laughs> Well, it's funny. Like, I think there's a little bit of a generational gap here. I think Wizard of Oz, the, the 39 film is certainly more revered by older generations, especially since we're, we're out of that, you know, where it was highly publicized on television. That's how it got popular. And as a kid, you know, they were still doing those annual airings of Wizard of Oz. Now you can watch it any old time on HBO Max. Oh, is it on HBO Max? It is on HBO Max. Of course wow, it is. Everything's on HBO Max. <laughs> it's a Warner Brothers owned property. Of course it is. And you can you can witness a small portion of it in uh what, what is it? Uh in Space Jam 2. <laughs> Tell me more about HBO Max. 
That's, you know, the it, LeBron James, he flies by the Wizard of Oz land. No, that's actually something that happens. He goes by the Wizard of Oz land and the Witch, Wicked Witch of the West flies by. And you have that briefly. Because is it a live just, action Wicked Witch of the West? Or it is, is it a like live a, action Wicked oh Witch of the West. Yes, of course it is. It's it's them doing a CGI uh, Margaret Hamilton. They got the original it. actress back. They dug her up. From, yeah, they from, dug her She's on stilts. <laughs> yeah so today we're talking about an unbuilt wizard of Oz attraction at disneyland this will wrap up our frontier land expansion series a lot of people actually don't know about this in fact we don't even have unlike the other three we don't have any concept art for this Hmm. like at all it was it was so brief that we don't have a smidge of concept art so unfortunately uh what on twitter you're going to see is you're going to see probably a lot of uh frame grabs from the 2013 film oz the great and powerful which we will we will talk about we will talk about for sure but we do have to get into the long history of the wizard of oz to get to this point so are we ready i can't think of a good pun so yes i am (laughs) sorry i know this is an illusion that i got a joke here but right (laughs) let's do the jitterbug let's go down the little brick road to let's grab our hearts our brains and our courage and Get on going. Oh, we're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. Here he is, the wizard, the wizard, if ever a wizard there was. If ever, oh, ever a wizard there was, the wizard of Oz was one. Because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does. Here we are for our main topic. Uh, and... <laughs> as we've already talked a lot in the uh, prior area, we are talking about an unbuilt Wizard of Oz land. Let's begin. The long journey begins in 1900 when L. Frank Baum wrote The Wonderful Wizard of Oz about a farm girl named Dorothy Gale who travels by a cyclone to the land of Oz. There she meets a friendly scarecrow, a good-hearted tin man, and a cowardly lion setting on a quest to send her back home. I have not read any of the Oz books, and I assume that you have not either. Uh, no, it must be deep on the reading list. The 1900 <laughs> Oz book. Yeah, it's. I'm getting there. You're getting there. You're eventually uh, going to get there to your ancient children's novels. That's right. Once I get past all of all of the ancient Greek books that I'm getting to, I'll move on to the the 1900s. <laughs> the the novel was an instant success, leading Baum to print fourteen more Oz books, dying in nineteen nineteen. In nineteen thirty seven, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves hit the screen and proved that children's fantasy could translate to big box office numbers. In 1938, MGM bought the rights to the L. Frank Baum books and immediately set out to make a musical feature film. The result was the 1939 immortal classic The Wizard of Oz, starring Judy Garland and as Dorothy Gale. While the film was a critical smash and won the Academy Award for Best Original Song, obviously going to Over the Rainbow, it was initially a flop for the studio. 
This changed in 1949 with an extremely successful 10th anniversary re-release, and soon television would make the film an annual tradition. In 1954, Walt Disney acquired the rights to the rest of Baum's Oz novels, intending on making them a series of films. He proposed a movie called The Rainbow Road to Oz, with various Masketeers in the roles. Okay, Musketeers, you've earned it. We'll take a flyer on Oz. You mean you're gonna let us do the movie? Widescreen, color, everything? Everything, the works. Oh, 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 oh. you sure? I'm sure. Okay, another cake now. Up we go, the rainbow-covered skyway. Up we go, the rainbow road to Oz. Darlene Gillespie would portray Dorothy Gale, and Annette Funicello would portray Princess Ozma. Famously, Walt was unsatisfied with the scripts and songs being developed, and even considered briefly with Ken Anderson on making the film animated. Eventually, the idea was scrapped, and the budget was pushed over to creating Babes in Toyland, also with Annette Funicello. And there you can actually see the Disneyland Mickey Mouse Club promotion of the Rainbow Road to Oz. And what they're standing on is Candy Mountain. Walt was especially frustrated as he wanted to build an attraction based on the film with a train ride into Oz around Candy Mountain. So it's like sort of an unbuilt ride right there. It's all rides upon rides. <laughs> right. Walt never relinquished the rights to the sequel novels, however, and they stayed with the company past his death. In the 1980s, one of the last projects Ron Miller ever greenlit was a spiritual sequel to the 1939 film called Return to Oz. However, besides the presence of Ruby Slippers, which Disney paid a fortune to have the rights to use, it had very little to do with the famous musical. Instead, this was a passion project for Walter Murch, a consistent editor for Francis Ford Coppola, and his dark vision of Oz was only greenlit due to Disney nearing the end of its 30-year license for the material. Murch crafted an unnerving portrayal of the world, mixing in horror elements with fantastical and focusing more on the deeper evils that run throughout the veins of the land of Oz. The opening particularly is upsetting, as Auntie M takes Dorothy to a psychotherapist who attempts to rid her of her supposed delusions of Oz through means of electroshock therapy. Walt Disney presents everybody. Did you see Wizard of Oz? Uh, the Land of Oz? Or the, sorry, Return of Oz. Oz. Yes. Did you see Return yes. of Oz? Yes, my lovely grandmother mm. who assumed that I thought I'd seen the original and I had not purchased okay. it on DVD for me one Christmas and I, I didn't watch it and then like six months later I was like, oh, I should put this on. How old are and you? It was, oh my goodness. I must have been between eight and ten. I was young. <laughs> I was like right in that prime period where the scary bike people, if I think, the yeah, wheelers, right? yeah. yeah, that's right. The wheelers. Yeah. Just that was bad. And, and frankly, I mean, the movie has some incredible special effects. Uh, it is not very good, but it has some incredible special effects enough. So that the whole thing is like a horrible, horrible fever dream. 
Yes, it is. Um, yeah, I don't know uh, why. I, it's always funny thinking that that's that's the Disney Wizard of Oz. You have two options, mm-hmm. right? You have uh, you have returned. Oh Oz. no, it's not the Disney. <laughs> there is another one. We'll talk oh, about. Oh, it. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll get there. But yeah, you have this one and you have the future one. I always like the pumpkin guy. Was it the, the scarecrow? Jack right? Pumpkinhead. Jack J- Jack TikTok. Pumpkinhead. TikTok was which is names. ahead of its time. You know, TikTok and oh yeah, dear the, God. <laughs> the app TikTok. Now you, here's what here's watch the uh, watch this. The next Oh My Disney post is gonna be like the kids on TikTok like and it'll be the stupid guy from Return to Oz. <laughs> the little robot TikTok. That's right. It is but it's so deeply upsetting. Like I don't know what they were thinking of taking Dorothy to electroshock therapy. Like what? It's an adult's version. You have to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they- <laughs> it's just upsetting with with the the fake princess and she has her disembodied heads and they're all screaming oh <laughs> kids needed nightmares it was disney yeah. was looking for a new level of scary the right, end I- of roger rabbit you have that you have return to oz <laughs> the rumor is that michael, you know, michael eisner and frank wells sit down and they're like okay uh, bring us every film you've you've already made and when they took over and then somebody screens <laughs> return to oz and they're like what the hell did we just get like what did what did you guys buy and sure enough, it flopped. That said, uh, the wonderful visual effects and the uniquely dark tone made Return to Oz a cult classic, but not much of a success at the box office. The film flopped, and Disney lost rights in 1986. Through a failure to renew copyright by Baum himself decades prior, the novels themselves all became public domain. Uh, the actual film itself lives on at Disneyland Paris's Oz in their storybook canal boat ride. And it was actually in Disneyland briefly included as a float in the main straight electrical parade to promote it. So they did try. They tried briefly. That barely counts as advertising the main street electrical parade. (laughs) Initially, this was seen as moot, but since MGM and soon Turner arguably owned the most popular version of the entire franchise, it was turned into three separate musicals and in the late 80s and early 90s saw presence in themed entertainment and i'm not joking it was actually turned into three separate musicals there's so many wizard of oz musicals as i did my research like i could not believe it (laughs) bomb before in 1902 made his own musical and then in the in, in the 80s they did a version of wizard of oz based on the 1939 one and then somebody else did one and like before that and then andrew lloyd weber and tim rice went and saw the material and said we can improve upon this and make it a two-act musical and they did their own version in 2011 and that's just based on the 1939 one they also did of course wicked which we'll talk about later and then somebody else did their own musical that was based upon the book rather than the 1939 movie and then somebody did something called and it was a promotional musical called the wizard of aids (laughs) which was one of those traveling things to help teach about aids and uh safe sex in fact there's a villain called the wizard of unsafe sex (laughs) it's like a veggie tales (laughs) sort of unsafe sex i was like what i'm sorry what 
uns- the wizard of unsafe sex. They they worked really hard on that pun. I don't know what yeah. the joke is, but they worked really I'll hard on get it. you my condom. Oh, <laughs> and your little diaphragm too. <laughs> so this is a family podcast. <laughs> We have to put the explicit on that. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the themed entertainment of Oz. Uh, firstly, as a part of Disney MGM Studios, Disney struck a separate deal with MGM to include four scenes from The Wizard of Oz and the Great Movie Ride. Unfortunately, the terms of the deal came by in minutes spent and not in the number of scenes. When timing out the attraction, the Imagineers learned that they went wildly over their limit and were forced to cut two scenes from the attraction so as to not pay MGM a fine and possibly lead to, you know, renegotiation. The two scenes cut were before Munchkinland, where guests would be in the cyclone as done via projection effects and giant wind turbines. The turbines were still present throughout the entire lifespan of the attraction, although the scene was redone to represent Fantasia with Mickey on a single screen. And there's a weird, obscure reference to this in Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway with the tornado. Mm. The last scene that was cut was the wizard's chamber, which would have culminated in either the gangster or the cowboy being revealed as the man behind the curtain. Animatronics from the entire ride would then step out of the shadows and take a bow. When the scene was cut, so was the budget for its replacement instead of becoming a clip show. Now, what are your opinions on the Wizard of Oz sequence in the Great Movie Ride? I mean, it, it's like, so I remember when I got to walk the Great Movie Ride track That's years right. ago, the coolest part was probably the uh, Wizard of Oz show scene. Just because it's a really interesting and intricate scene and part of the attraction. It, it doesn't feel complete just because, ob- I mean, obviously, as we're discussing now, it was supposed to be much more in-depth. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was it was supposed to have a lot more from this movie because it really feels like the entire ride you're building up to like the film, uh, The yeah. Wizard of Oz. Right. And then you go and explore the the Technicolor dreamscape. But uh, but obviously, you know, there's not there's not much you can really complain about it. It was just uh, smaller than it should have been. Right. And and the Wicked Witch animatronic and the, the interactions that they have, you know, with the tour guide and the animatronic and then going past Dorothy. I mean, it is, for lack of a better word, it is kind of magical. Right. In all, on the way that they recreate it and how exact it is. No, no, it was an accident. I didn't mean to kill anybody. Well, my little pretty, I can cause accidents too. Oh, rubbish. You have no power here. Be gone before somebody drops a house on you too. Very well. I'll bide my time. But just try to stay out of my way. Just try. I'll get you, my pretty. And your little dog too. Uh, I wonder how we get out of here. What do you folks think? Which way do we go? Follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road? Now, why didn't I think of that? Come on, folks. I do agree that it is sort of. It cut off and it's it's sad because it would have been really cool to see like a mini Wizard of Oz attraction, the entire film brought to life, and which we really 
we really haven't really gotten and it is a shame you know warner brothers owns the rights and they never they never have done anything with it in fact that is a disappointment of where it comes to the Abu Dhabi park mm-hmm. um warner brothers movie world where they have they have a dc area and then they had the cartoons area but I would really love it if they had an Oz area and brought some of that to life because I think it is missing. So the other presence for the 1939 film was at the MGM Grand Las Vegas in 1993. The entrance to the casino was through a lion's mouth and into the round atrium with the Emerald City in the center. Various flora and fauna from the film surrounded it and guests for a fee would walk around the yellow brick road in the atrium and walk past animatronics representing the characters from inside the film. Inside the Emerald City was a small theater with a brief magic show called The Wizard's Secrets. This only lasted three years and was demolished in 1996 for a refurbishment of the casino. Baum himself wanted to build an amusement park based on Oz, but sadly could never get it off the ground. In 1970, North Carolina opened the small but charming Land of Oz theme park with a yellow brick road and a hot air balloon ride, but it fell into disrepair in the late 70s and early 80s. Now, for the MGM Grand version, Ryan, you, in the show notes, you can see a picture of it with the mm. hot air balloon and the Emerald City in the center oh. there. And what was great about this, and you could actually go online, if you go to YouTube, uh, you type in uh, Wizard of Oz, Emerald City, Las Vegas. There, there's actual video of that. Last week, we were at the end of our Geyser Mountain episode. We were talking about how there's uh, the theme park. Now, the theme park didn't have any Wizard of Oz stuff because the way they did it was the entire casino was themed to Wizard of Oz. And the theme park was kind of its own thing in the back there. Maybe the actual park would have been more successful as themed to wizard of oz but they did a great job here um i still remember the animatronics being kind of good and if you could see uh, around there on the roof there's these um kind of a hold there and those are projectors and lighting mm-hmm. rigs and they would ever so occasionally on the sky you would see like kind of the wicked witch oh, flying by and stuff like that and like thunder and lighting going on um you would go around the yellow brick road around little scenes of the film tightly packed and you would go into the structure this i did go into and it was it was a very very charming and neat experience and i kind of miss it right now all that's there is literally it is there uh the space is still this giant round atrium and there is a gift shop there you can still look above and you see the giant brownish dome don't you want to gamble to the to a movie from the 1940s that's how they get the old people in there is they put the the old movies and they they start charging you know the old people love the wizard of oz casino slot machine it's like the most popular one like any casino i've ever been to oh yeah people love that machine (laughs) it reminds them of being young and then (laughs) and seeing the wizard of oz on television that's right cbs Yes, and one day you'll do the Return of Oz casino slot machine. <laughs> and it'll remind you of being young in a 3D movie. <laughs> okay, so this finally takes us to the early 2010s. Disney was eager to start a new live-action franchise as the pirate series was becoming stagnant. They leapt onto a new version of Oz since, again, the rights for all 14 Bond books went into the public domain. Sam Raimi and James Franco were attached as they envisioned a prequel to Oz, not unlike the Broadway hit Wicked, but this time focusing on the wizard instead of the Wicked Witch. Oh, I have to ask you, if you have ever seen Wicked? No, sorry. No. I, I, I mean, this, yeah. 
I know, well, no, not really. I know everybody on Disney Twitter loves Wicked. And then I looked it up and it's a musical. And I decided that I had better things to do with my life. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't watch it. Okay. I, so, I, okay. Wicked, Wicked is a reimagining of the Wizard of Oz based on the Gregory Maguire book. Right. And it is about the Wicked Witch being essentially misunderstood. Uh, she is a byproduct of a mutation caused by a magical green elixir that makes her born green. And she is taunted and made fun of and strikes up a friendship with the good witch, Glinda. Interesting. And she uh, is about how she turns wicked through her her machinations due to this weird racism allegory with animals in the Emerald City being outlawed and made to be second class citizens. And she's rebelling against that. And she also has a love triangle with this with this man who is also tied to another person and her sister as well, who is Nesrosi, who's in a wheelchair. It's really complicated, but needless to say that it attempts to make everything that happens in the original Wizard of Oz make sense as this gigantic chess game setup that is a way of freeing the Wicked Witch like from her responsibilities and it's so confusing i i I remember seeing it on stage way back when probably in uh, 2006 so years ago and from what i vaguely remember it ends with the whole thing of her being melted by water being a setup by the scarecrow who's not actually a scarecrow but her love interest into faking her death (laughs) <laughs> so she could run off and be free with her love interest. This is horrible. This is just really <laughs> bad. I don't. This is popular. People like this. Popular. You're gonna be popular. Oh, people love it. Mostly because of the score by Stephen Schwartz. But oh, I see. I mean, you should hear when I remember when seeing it, the reveal. That she actually never died when Dorothy melts her. And she like, I think the scarecrow's name is Pharaoh or something like that. And he goes to this trap door and opens it up, opens it up. And then she steps out and all the little girls in the audience are like, oh my God. Yes. It worked. She's alive! And I'm going, this is the most contrived thing ever. But not that contrived, because there's some more contrived stuff coming out. How come? How can people go crazy for this one? But the Book of Boba Fett... (laughs) (laughs) Always coming back to the Book of Boba Fett. (laughs) The Book of Boba Fett can't catch a break. Um, I guess so, so, so how likely do you think it is that Disney was trying to monetize on the success of Wicked? 100%. 100%. And 50%. This was because of Wicked being popular. Popular. You're gonna be popular. And them going, oh my gosh. Wait, are you telling me we don't have to pay the cent for the rights, but all we have to do is do our own take, but it can't 
look too much like we're doing our own version of Wicked. So let's do a version where it's about the wizard instead of about the Wicked Witch. So as, as a question, because you've seen the film, do they do they play the Wicked Witch as like a protagonist or do they just make her evil? Oh, it is almost identical. It is so weird how, how it is obviously trying to do the same thing, but it's not because let's, let's quickly uh, let's go through this. Okay. Throughout development, it was clear that various influences include avatar, the rise of filmmaking, Burton's 2010, Alice in Wonderland adaption, wicked. And again, the 1939 film this time, however, Disney was bullish on paying Warner brothers, any licensing phase and had the tiptoe around the copyright. While it was clearly intended to be a spiritual prequel, the, with the film opening in black and white and even in a 4-3 aspect ratio, they legally were not allowed to use the same shade of green on Mila Kunis's Wicked Witch. And yes, Mila Kunis yes. is the Wicked Witch. Instead, creating a shade called Theostein, which is a portmanteau of Theodora, her real character. And that's the thing. In Wicked, it's Alphaba, who's the real name of the Wicked Witch. And here it's Theodora. Uh, and Theodore and Frankenstein. The swirl on the yellow brick road had to be changed not to replicate the 1939 film. The Emerald City was even modified to look close, but not exact. The thing is, is in this film, it is about how James Franco as the wizard, whose name is coincidentally Oz, but the land of Oz is also Oz, because there's a prophecy that a wizard will come to the land of Oz bearing the name of Oz. Can you just name your kid that? Like, what is what is stopping everybody from just naming their kid Oz? Well, the thing is, is his name is not actually Oz. It's his I stage see. name. His real name is like Oscar something. But in the books, it was actually the fact that there was a princess Ozma. And, ugh, I'm getting a headache just thinking about it. But yeah, the Wicked Witch is Mila Kunis, who he meets, who's named Theodora. And she has three, she has two sisters. One is the Glinda the Good Witch. And the other one is a completely new character who's Rachel Weiss, who's evil, but is secretly manipulating Mila Kunis to thinking that the other sister, Glinda, is a Wicked Witch. She is actually naive. She falls in love with James Franco. And then Rachel Weiss manipulates her because. James Franco is a terrible womanizer into thinking in real life or in the movie. <laughs> Both. That's the thing. It does not age well, does it? And that's what I was thinking. So he manipulates and Mila Kunis and him actually like dance and they make out. And it's like, it's implied that they have sex. And see, you know, the Marvel movies keep, keep <laughs> saying that they're Disney's first sex scenes, Eternals, but right. we need to go back to uh, this movie. Yeah. So Mila Kunis, as Theodora, she thinks that she's in love with James Franco. But then, of course, he sees Rachel Weiss and goes, boing, 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 and he tries to seduce her. And then she goes movie. to Glinda and he goes, has to search out Glinda. And of course, Glinda reminds him of this woman who he knew in Kansas, who turns out to be Dorothy Gale's mother. So it is implied that the Wizard of Oz has made love to Dorothy Gale's mom. And in Wicked, it is the fact that the Wizard of Oz is the actual father of the Wicked Witch. So again, they're doing 
these weird contrived things the same with it she manipulates theodora to take this apple to essentially i don't even remember i watched the film three days ago and i don't remember she thinks that this apple is going to help remedy oh i think she's going to make her forget about james franco but Mm. it actually turns her into the wicked witch and it's a horribly miscast thing just imagine mila kunis trying to do margaret Margaret i saw a picture and the makeup looks pretty bad yeah uh be gone, witch, before the wizard makes mush of you. Oh, how sweet. You all believe in him. Well, so did I once. And as for you, my pretty one, when I return with my sister and her army, The yellow brick road will be red with the blood of every tinker, farmer, and munchkin in your kingdom. You underestimate us, Theodora. We are a strong and united people. Now the wizard is here to lead us. And as for your wizard, he will be the first to die. And you will all see that he's nothing but a deceitful, selfish, and extremely mortal man. Give me that! It was a broom that you wanted. Wasn't it, wizard? (laughs) And she's like wearing a corset, so... It's like a sexy version of the Wicked Witch. That's what we needed. That's what yeah. we were missing in 2000. Mm-hmm. What, what year was what year did this come out again? In 2013. Oh my goodness. I remember seeing trailers for this movie when I was younger. Yeah. And I remember seeing it at Target. And that's, I think, the last time that mm-hmm. I ever thought about this movie. And the, Zach Braff plays a flying monkey. And Bruce Campbell's in it, I hear. For a brief second, yes. That's that's how you know it's a Sam Raimi movie. It's no good, and Bruce Campbell was in it. <laughs> oh, not a fan I of like Sam. <laughs> I like I like Sam Raimi's Evil Dead movies. I like Dark Man. I like the first two Spider Mans, and here we are uh, now. <laughs> no Spider Man three love. Uh-huh. I, oh come on! I'm gonna put some dirt in your eye. Spider Man three. Yeah, I'm a big drag me to hell fan. <laughs> All right. Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> Irregardless, Imagineer Tony Baxter found himself enthralled by the visuals and for one last time in his career sought to put an Ozland based on this film in the Frontierland expansion pad. Is is this like Tony Baxter like was enthralled by the visuals or was enthralled by the visuals in the same way that Joe Rohde was enthralled by Guardians of the Galaxy? Now, this information comes from Tony Baxter on a podcast oh. after he retired from Imagineering. Oh, then he he would just be honest. He'd say he was forced. He would to be honest. That. Yes, exactly. Right. He, you know, he doesn't shy away from saying what he thinks of the new journey into imagination. For instance, he hates right. it. As you, should, as I would imagine, he would. But he loves <laughs> this thing. He he really likes the Sam Raimi Wizard of Oz. I think movie. he. I think he likes the idea of it and creating right. an Ozland. Yes, in Frontierland. Yes, guests would enter into a medicine show tent and sit for a performance. In the center of the stage would be a crystal ball featuring a projection of James Franco's Oz character, 
sort of like, you know, Madame Leota. Mm. Assistants, which are CMs in disguise, would escort a child up on the stage for a trick to make them disappear. Zimzalabim, he cries as a blanket is thrown over the child. Suddenly, the ground shakes. It gets windy. The lights in the tent start flickering. The tent flaps start pulling away and the room spins as we're caught in a giant tornado. All of a sudden, everything goes black. The lights rise again. Oz's assistants look blankly as the child is still on stage. Master, the trick, it, it didn't work. Oz replies, oh, did it now? The tent flat to our left falls apart, revealing a majestic scene. Welcome, one and all, to the land of Oz, he shouts as we exit. And you can see uh, a image of Oz, the great and powerful, you know, looking towards the Emerald City there. And possibly what it would look, what it would have looked like. From here on in, we would be in a massive indoor show building hidden behind the berm past the train tracks. On the ground is obviously the yellow brick road, leading us into various directions underneath the brilliant always blue sky. Straight ahead is the Emerald City. To the left is Chinatown, this time being a town full of China doll figurines, which is in the movie. They go into Chinatown and they find the China doll figure, which is a China doll girl who's portrayed by Joey King in a young role is actually probably one of the most successful things about it. The CD for the time is very well done. To the right is the Wicked Witch's Forest. Behind us is the exit back into Disneyland. In the Emerald City would be the attraction's e-ticket. The details are still unknown as Disney may use the tech in the future per Tony. It was using tech on a ride vehicle that had never been done before. At the Wicked Witch's Forest was another unknown attraction, and Chinatown would feature the land's restaurants and shops. Tony said that the visuals and meaning behind Oz were the greatest factor into pushing this land, and admired the background opening setting being uh, that on an 1800s frontier town, making it thematically appropriate, blending the aspects of the nearby Fantasyland and Frontierland together. And so you could see the, the opening would have been sort of similar a little bit to the Rise of the Resistance opening, but whereas that uses this turntable system, this would use the Haunted Mansion technology where you would go in an elevator and then you would dis, uh, disembark down a tunnel, taking you to the main show building. So, question. So, you have the the little tent room. The world opens into a show building. Is there anything to, like, do in the show building? Because you, you describe, like, different directions to places. So, it isn't quite like Rise of the Resistance, where it's just, like, a piece of a e-ticket attraction. Right. It seems like this is a... This would be the themed area in and of itself. Because mm -hmm. that you'd have yes. to go through... So, every time you wanted to go in, you had to go through the tent? <laughs> that's that's my assumption yes interesting yeah it's, mm -hmm. i mean i that's an interesting idea uh obviously we're going to talk more about the attraction well actually very very shortly but it's an interesting idea to try to make a attraction of the way that you enter a land right you know there's numerous attractions like the tiki room that make the waiting to get into the actual experience a ride in and of itself mm -hmm. uh, they do the little show but it is very rare that you see something like this where you actually, I don't know. Can you think of a single other? Yes. Oh, go ahead. By all means. Yeah. Uh, it, pr uh, pretty much uh, the interventions was like this. Right. Okay. Uh, it, the seas with Nemo and friends and as well as the original living seas. The seas oh, you, are you, 
Uh, you mean that you go through the dark ride part and then go into uh, the original Living Seas was actually more complicated. Uh, mm. You had to well, the hydrolators, right? You had to see two different pre-shows, go in the hydrolators, go down, go on the sea cabs, and go out. The- right, but I, not to sorry, not to cut you off, but I mean, not like an attraction. I mean, like the actual themed area in and of itself. Uh, because you know this is like you you would go through the Oz and then be let out into the big show building, mm-hmm. and I mean it I seems like... on this scale, but there are similar things where you you're going in and you're experiencing multiple experiences, but to do it you have to experience an experience first. Right. Okay. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Right. So they they have done this before, but for a massive land, I don't know. Uh, so why was it not built? Oz the Great and Powerful debuted in March 2013, and unlike many remember, was actually a modest box office success, mm. raking in nearly $500 million worldwide. Jesus, really? Yeah. Yes, That's true? Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> remember, it was the time of the 3D film. I mean, uh, making, it, yeah, making an approximated profit of $40 million. Oh, well, that's However, a little different. Yeah. However, compared to other 3D fantasy films of the time, including the aforementioned Tim Burton, Alice in Wonderland, did not make enough to satisfy the company that created an entire land. While sequels were teased and even put in the pre-production, they fell by the wayside and the Disneyland project was shelved. Baxter retired from Imagineering later that year as they briefly flirted with putting a small themed area themed to Toy Story called Woody's Roundup in the Space. Woody's Roundup Come on and gather round Woody's Roundup Where nobody wears a frown Bad guys go running Whenever he's in town He's the rootin'est, tootin'est, shootin'est Hootin'est cowboy around Woody's Roundup This was actually going to be the second topic of this video, but mm. when I was seeing the research, not much is known about this project, except that it would likely contain similar flat lights rides to the other Toy Story Playlands, but with a Wild West setting. Iterations of this may have inspired the Woody's Roundup Whip attraction at Shanghai Disneyland and Jesse's Critter Carousel at Disney's California Adventure. The hardest, <laughs> yeah, the hardest thing about it, uh, researching it is the fact that Woody's Roundup not only is the name of that attraction at shanghai but it's also roundup rodeo which is the new restaurant that's going into toy story land the one that's the cardboard box yeah um (laughs) (laughs) you cannot let them live that one down it is like almost impossible to research irregardless bob Iger made it imperative that disney would use the recent acquisition of lucasfilm in the upcoming star wars sequel trilogy to its advantage and finally announce what would become star wars galaxy's edge at the d23 expo in 2015 the space that tony always wanted to utilize was finally becoming use taking up 14 acres in the back of disneyland demolishing big thunder ranch Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opened in May of 2019 with a marketplace, two restaurants, a bar, and two major attractions, ending the story of the Frontierland expansions. What if? What if Oz the Great and Powerful made over a billion dollars? Would we have seen this Oz land come to fruition? Would it have been able to survive without being directly tied to the 1939 movie? And that's where all of this history and everything comes into perspective. Because, as we discussed before, yes, The Wizard of Oz is a multifaceted property. But, but, I personally believe that the 1939 movie is the only thing 
people care about when it comes to Oz. So you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that's probably what actually pushed it to make the money it did. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think this is like Pirates of the Caribbean, the movie. I don't necessarily think was entirely. You know, the the, the draw to that movie was Johnny Depp action, Depp. yeah, stuff like that. This, I bet you, with one hundred percent certainty, that the draw was a relationship to the original movie. Insofar mm-hmm. that I think if a sequel came out, it would have bombed. Right. So I, you know, yeah, I think that you're right. They are, it is inseparable, the original 1939 movie and, well, what anything you ever try to do with the Oz brand. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And that's, that's what I find so fascinating is that so many people think that Oz is more than just that movie in the cultural zeitgeist. And I disagree. I know it exists outside of it but it always comes back they always try to make it relate to that movie and i mean you you have that some sort of thing with the rainbow road to oz while keeps getting dissatisfied with these scripts and is dissatisfied with the songs and stuff like that it's because you have such such competition with that beloved movie that it's hard to make something that feels like an heir successor and wicked is really the only thing that kind of breaks through Mm -hmm. the problem with that though when looking at wicked the reason why wicked is so successful on stage is because it is completely 100 faithful to the 1939 movie in so many ways they have references to uh, to the movie there's Dumb lines like sly references like them saying there's no place like home and just right. milking it for a laugh. It's good to see you. What are you doing here? Well, there's no place like home. <laughs> and yeah, that- well, because because even if you they, they the thing about the the wicked, I mean, wicked again, I know very little, but it seems like people are they like it insofar that it's a subversion of a story they've already heard. Right, right. It's a story they know, and then you get the other side of it. The 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 problem with Return to Oz in the eighties and uh, Oz the Great and the Powerful in the two thousands or two thousand tens is that while it might have like the name relationship, it is like so distinct narratively. Besides a couple of you know obvious connections, you, you I don't think you could pull people back for that kind of thing. I don't think people are going to fall for it just as well as they did Wicked. Because Wicked is distinct. Like, it has a separate narrative, right? But, I mean, does it? It's happening yeah. seemingly in the background of something that you already know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, exactly. like, it's like the Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> we keep going back to the Book of Boba Fett. we got to stop. Um, <laughs> but that's that's the fascinating thing, is that you build an Ozland, and people go, and they're like, okay, here's the Yellow Brick Road. Here's the Emerald City, but it doesn't look like the Emerald City. And where are the songs? Oh, well, we couldn't do the songs because Warner Brothers owns the songs. And what are you talking about? I was at Disney MGM Studios Uh, on the Great Movie Ride, and they had songs. Well, you see, that was a separate contract. Okay, why Mm. don't you just buy the songs? That's, That's what I want. I want the songs. And this also goes kind of into the weird Batu argument. God damn it! I knew that was exactly where it was going to go. I, saw, I, I, I heard. I once you said that, I was like, "Oh no, that's just right back to Galaxy's Edge, huh?" And I do, I do feel it's a little different, though. Yeah, it is a little different because you had the Millennium Falcon, 
Millennium Falcon is there. That's the Millennium Falcon. I mean, you don't have Star Wars music in the land, but that's well, like an aesthetic choice and stuff like that. But you do have Star Wars music on the rides. The one it, thing, it, additionally, to 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 further like analyze the the Batu point, Star Wars, the original form, the original, uh, excuse me, three movies are like pretty succinct narrative pieces with a little bit of world building in six. I mean, there's world world building in the other ones, but like six. Well, geez, I should really say. Return of the Jedi is the one where the world building gets really heightened. You get the Ewoks, you get what's going on in Tatooine, et cetera, et cetera. The prequels pretty much devote themselves to world building, right? And it's like there's a plot happening, but like the important thing is, is that there's these varied cultures and races and people and planets. And when you do Batu, not only do you have those the actual narrative arc of the Empire to build on, but you also have the world building. Like Star Wars is much more than just the plot. There is a a universe that George Lucas created. The Wizard of Oz, I don't maybe I'm, you know, just not that deep into it. But the Wizard of Oz to me is very surface level. And it's a very it's a it's a classic narrative with some classic visuals, but it's not like a world that people are hankering to explore. So when you don't deliver to them exactly what they know, there's nothing to do. Like the people mm-hmm. like the Wizard of Oz because of the memorable imagery. And there's no anticipation that the Wizard of Oz is anymore. Nobody's asking about like the governments of Munchkin Land or something yeah. like that. There's no room to expand into smaller territory. So when you offer them Wizard of Oz without everything that people know the Wizard of Oz about, it's it's like offering them a Mickey Mouse ice cream bar without two ears on it. It's like it's it doesn't matter. It's not the same thing. It's mm-hmm. it's missing the symbol. It's um, missing what people know. Well, right, and, and there's care more to not what people know. It's what people care about. Right. And the problem is it's people don't care about like people only care about the visually distinct things in that movie. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, it's not like it's this complex emotional tale. It's a very simple story. So when you don't deliver it, especially with the key things, like you're saying, the music is like the, the big one. You know, I could see a horrible, horrible universe in which you walk into the show building and it plays the munchkin singing Yellow Brick Road over <laughs> and over again. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, I could see a horrible universe where it plays the most boring Danny Elfman music ever. And people are like, what is this? Pick your poison? It seems like they're both horrible, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know you really don't like the classic 1939 Wizard of Oz score. Well, you know what actually it is? It's more like I've – let's go back to casinos. Is that I've been to – actually, the casinos point I think is really good here, to be clear. I think that the um, the the – Evidence is right in that. How you have these people, they play, they dump money into this casino game, and all that casino game needs to do is show you the key things about the Wizard of Oz. The Emerald City, the characters, the witch, etc. and so forth. Without that, it would be meaningless. Because it's it's like it's almost like Winnie the Pooh, you know what I mean? Like Winnie the Pooh is a distinct thing from much before Disney got his hands on the or their hands on the property. But if you present people like the original Winnie the Pooh, I think people tend to get a little confused. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's actually now Winnie the Pooh is in the exact same situation as, as Oz. Winnie right. the Pooh is following the public domain. However, it's the same thing. Disney's right. Winnie the Pooh is not in the public domain. Right. Like red shirt. I don't think they can get away yeah, with exactly. or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. Yeah, you they can't get away with a lot of you're right because and the question is 
you know, let's say Mickey Mouse falls into the public domain, right? The character Mickey Mouse, but not the Mickey Mouse symbol. You know, it, it wouldn't be the same if you couldn't use the identifying factors. Right. Because it's, that's all it is. It's just a symbol. You know, something like Star Wars has much more to it. The first season of The Mandalorian, I guess, has a thing that looks like Baby Yoda and it has stormtroopers. But I do mm-hmm. think it's like relatively successful without needing to touch base on things that people are completely aware of. Like it can okay. be it can be visually like referential without being mm-hmm. explicitly Star Wars. Well, we're still in that world. We're still in this right. specific world. And I think that's a clarification where this film was like, I mean, we're not, we're kind of like skirting the line, whereas right. we're we're trying to be spiritual to it, but we can't legally do it. And a land would be the exact same thing. And I just look at that and going, what's the point? Why don't you just go go full tilt? Do the whole thing. Warner Brothers ain't going to do it. Excuse me. Warner Brothers would sue the out of them. They would just sue them to high house. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Warner Brothers ain't going to do it, so might as well buy it, is my point. Right. Might as well license it like they license Avatar. Well, Which so that because they own Avatar now, but that's true. Well, I, so here's a, 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 I guess they just got their money back with that, right? Not that their money was like with Avatar, like the money wasn't just sitting in like a little safe, but they yeah. bought it and then bought the company. So right, I don't know if they double paid or if they just they made double their money paid. back. They, they were probably double paid. Yeah. Yeah. So the interesting thing about this, though, that I, I do want to turn the conversation a little bit is that, like, let's say it was even finished. How how does this this pull into Frontierland? I guess because it's a medical tent. Okay, so it's it's, it's not a medicine. It's a medicine tent, which is because it's like Kansas in this in the it's frontier. Kansas, and it's a state fair. So state fair medicine tent is what they would call like a shorthand for these uh, tents that you would go into for these like flim flam scams, you know, that you would get right. these fake uh, solutions out of. So that's why they call it a medicine tent. But instead, it would be a magic show. In this. So you would pull up to the state fair, you would see the hot air balloon right there, and then there would be the tent. You go into the tent and see the show. I'm gonna I'm just gonna say that if you have a problem with Galaxy's Edge, then you got a problem with this. You know what I mean? Like if, if Galaxy's Edge doesn't fit in Disneyland, this doesn't fit in Disneyland. How? It's an entire land theme to the Wizard of Oz. Why? Oh, I see what you're saying. I thought you meant right. Frontier. No, yeah, oh, yeah. the med the medicine tent I could see. Like that makes sense, you know. I watched, I guess I saw Nightmare Alley recently, and it's a bit late for Frontier and stuff like that, but it mm-hmm. has like that era of the the uh, the West and like the, yeah. it's almost like, um what's it called? Museum of the Weird, right? That yeah. you would go to see like a sideshow or something like right. that. You know, uh, it is funny what you're saying. Oh, it doesn't fit in the Disneyland. And a lot of people argue this. And really? I think it's, I think it's BS. And here's why. Walt Disney didn't really care about the ideas of single IP and that stuff. He was like going to make a Lilliputian land where it was like based on Gulliver's travels. I don't have a problem. I don't, don't, I'm I'm not a coward. I don't care what Walt Disney said. Walt Disney put a petting zoo. All right. Yeah. He can be wrong. He can be wrong. Well, I think, you know, people who defend it by going, well, Walt Disney wouldn't stand for this, you know, BS. Walt Disney wouldn't have cared. But I do think that like, as it stands, Disneyland does have some before Galaxy's Edge, and I'm not. This is not like a slight at Galaxy's Edge, but before Galaxy's Edge, I think Disneyland had a pretty solid um, thematic cohesion to it. Really, right? even and, with Mickey's Toontown? Yes, because fantasy into cartoons is, I think, a bit less of a jump 
than frontier land, like real frontier land, right? Like if the it, real it, American frontier to right, but the Wizard space, of Oz. well, space western. Okay, but uh, I'm saying with Galaxy's Edge, it's sort of oh, space frontier, well, frontier to but space. But it's not. Frontier. But it's not because the okay. frontier is a very that that was really passive aggressive. I'm sorry to yeah. the listeners. There's, <laughs> I, I uh, no. So that's an interesting point because yeah, it is like a space western in addition to like a space World mm-hmm. War Two movie. I think that the problem that I would personally take is that Frontierland, as it stands, in my mind, is very grounded in mm-hmm. reality. It's there. There may be things that are like abstractions of frontier living. You know, mm-hmm. the, the crazy mine train or whatever. Even, even let's say Geyser Mountain, let's say that was built, right? Yeah. That would be an abstraction, but it feels exactly, like yeah. it's very grounded in real. When you go into Fantasyland, so to go back to your previous thing, when you go into Fantasyland, you're looking at Small World, you're in a world of fictions, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And then you go into the back and like, oh, all the cartoons from your favorite cartoons, they live there. It's like, that's great. Yeah. Okay. I'm fine with that. Because that, what it is is... The problem isn't that it has to be visu- visually cohesive, because I agree, you know, Small World is pretty and Toontown for a majority of its lifetime was rather cheap, um, mm-hmm. you know, the way that they did it. I mean, it was it was well done, but it was, you know, still a little cheap. But you didn't have to, like, suspend your disbelief into, like, a snap. You know, you're, you're in fiction and then you go into fiction. I think that when you go from when you go from Frontierland into Galaxy's Edge now, it's a bit odd because you're like, I was in, let's say you go from Critter Country and yeah. uh, Blash Mountain into Galaxy's Edge, or you go into Frontierland. At the same, uh, in your mind, you're like, well, I was in the real world, but I think they pull it off really well with the rock work. You know, you're, yeah, you're, because the, the, the visual motif stays the same. You're still in like a rocky wilderness area, but now you're in like an abstract wilderness, kind of like Pandora, right? It's like you're still in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what wilderness is not clear. My final point now, after this long diatribe, <laughs> is that going from Frontierland into the Wizard of Oz is like whiplash. It's like it's almost like going through a portal because ah, even if that medicine tent opens up, isn't but the medicine the tent point? isn't sufficient enough. Why isn't that a, the point that we whiplash? That's that's sort of the point that both. Is the, oh, is the idea that the Wizard of Oz is real? <laughs> well, I, you know what's funny is that in the 39 film, it's portrayed as a dream. But in the Bomb books, it was always supposed to be real. The whole idea in the 39 film and most of the text is that the real world is sort of mundane. And this is fantastical. So the idea that the whiplash is supposed to be the point. Yeah. No, I, I understand. You're right. There's There's definitely some thematic necessity to like the whiplash i mean the whiplash mm-hmm. i've seen it done well right so the the start the star destroyer right you get like a, a, a pretty strong whiplash as you leave the yeah uh, the little thing it's like you were in you were outside in the wilderness and oh my goodness now you were in this crystal clear pristine star destroyer mm-hmm. the one thing that is like a little odd though is that so you're in Frontierland, right and you go into this you go into this medicine tent and then you see a show. At what point do you enter like the world of fiction? Because it's, it's it is like a whiplash, right? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't. A lot of things, like for example, you know, Remy R- Ratatouille Adventure isn't like the best ride, but it, in the queue, it does like a pretty sufficient job, I would say, of like changing the scale very gradually. So it doesn't feel it's not crazy fast. I, it's, I would have to say that the idea is that you don't think you're entering the land of fiction, but suddenly you are. 
Mm. And it's, it's supposed to be turning expectations on their head. Like, oh, wait, I thought this was just a magic show. Now I've been truly magically transported to another world. Do you think that like lore has like any question here? Or is that just too much of a, of a wacky point? Like you could say that like <laughs> a lot of times, well, you don't want to add a ride that like doesn't make the land make sense. Right. Right. Um, a lot of the time you try not to like if you added a ride in Tomorrowland, you know, where where everyone drove regular cars, it'd be like, OK, or if they flew planes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if you had wings is crying somewhere. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I but I do think that like I, there's something just really odd about it to me. Because you go from like an area that is like really, really, really trying to immerse you in like natural rock work. And then you go into a show building. Unless they could pull off the show building really well. It would have to... I I almost wonder... I would have to see what the play pavilion looks like first. And then maybe I could be like, okay, could that tech have been used to create an immersive gateway? Mm -hmm. Um, And that would have been interesting. Maybe my problem too is that I don't care that much for The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Like at the end of the day, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I, I, I love the '39 film. I think it's mm-hmm. it's one of my childhood favorites. Uh, the uh, something that's so magical about it is weirdly enough is the fact that it was filmed. It, it is really. I would I would have to say it's probably the oldest, most iconic film. Would you agree? Like, really on our cultural zeitgeist. In pop when culture. was Casablanca filmed? Casablanca was in the 1940s. Really? See, you know what's weird? It's always like my mind always goes to was it in color? But that's just not the truth, right? Like there was just movies after The Wizard of Oz that were that were in black, in black and white. white. Like, yeah, like right. Casablanca. It wasn't the first color film. Uh, actually, no. the first color film was a Disney film. Did colors, uh, flowers and trees. So That is that is true. That's correct. Mm-hmm. I, uh, but, I think you're right, though. I, sh- I, I would agree with you. That is definitely the oldest contemporary the oldest film that is still popular in a contemporary way popular you're gonna be popular you know people Mm -hmm. it's not like people talk about it like something like citizen kane where they say that that is that is like the movie movie this is like a movie that people just actively watch like it is any other film so yeah i would say it is it is old and it's relevant which is incredibly difficult and it makes the creation of which sort of legendary in itself because they didn't preserve things back then right so unlike for example with back to the future you have the cut film takes of eric stoltz as marty mcfly right however with the wizard of oz there was a cut scene called the jitterbug which you have a recording of but you don't have much of the if any of the film of that was deleted when you sort of view and i i have the film on blu-ray which has like all these special features featuring like archive footage of when wizard of oz eventually gone into television they finally started interviewing the people behind it and they're all old and they're talking about it like you know this happened in its heyday and there's there's something something sort of mystical about it as if this happened this happened in a time that we can't quite reach and there's some Mm -hmm. there's something nostalgic about this film that has permeated like multiple 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 generations and the creation of which is so almost regarded in legend and it, and it really is the the actual film itself all of it it looks like it was filmed on a sound stage it has this incredibly old school feel but at the same time there's so many 
classic hallmarks that can be derived from it in sort of storytelling fashions. Each song is immediately memorable. And it, the script, I think, is actually pretty clever as well and elevates the bomb material from being, you know, sort of humdrum and boring to kind of livening it up. And mm-hmm. I think that's where, as all the other Oz adaptations fail a little bit more, maybe the the bomb stuff wasn't that interesting. It wasn't that iconic and playful as this film was. So personally, I, I, there's something that I feel emotionally attached to the 39 film. The, Over the Rainbow is a, an incredibly gorgeous song. I mean, come on. I, I think that your argument, I mean, not your argument, but I think that your perspective here if anything illuminates why they shouldn't do it. Like this is a land, this is like a time that we can never get back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a movie, it's a relic of a different age in Hollywood that it's half like timepiece and half just actual quality film would trying to create like an immersive gateway like this, especially when you can't do it justice like yeah. when you can't deliver the proper yeah, exactly. visual direction. And, like I said, when you would ride the great movie ride, the intention was it was 1989. Right. It is the 50th anniversary of The Wizard of Oz. The guide, the actual script itself says, and here we roll into the one of the most beloved films of all time, The Wizard of Oz. And they're all singing. I believe they're singing Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. And you're supposed to have this awe and wonder of a thing that you've only seen on celluloid a thousand times. And now you're seeing in person that you're supposed to be, you're supposed to give out that reaction. And again, like with over the rainbow and stuff like that, uh, these are sights and sounds that are so it's so impermanent to our childhood as generations would pass on it possibly to not to your childhood but just millions that if you don't do the actual 39 film it loses any point of existing it just does Mm -hmm. yeah i agree it's, it's pointless that's what people want give the people what they want yes but realize that what's happening here is not it's it's there's like the sad disney cynicism part of it though mm-hmm. is that it doesn't feel to me maybe with for tony baxter right in his mind it was um the idea of having the chance to finally work with the wizard of oz through some way mm-hmm. the disney was at this point i guarantee just trying to validate this franchise that if they could mm-hmm. do a franchise with this they would and a theme park ride might be enough to trick people to keep coming back you know if this thing was successful right so i do i do wonder like you know were they trying to do it justice and like failed or is what i believe is the more likely approach is that they were really looking to legitimize an interpretation of the wizard of oz that i I that's a lot of money that that movie made though i maybe i'm just out of touch with people but i can't imagine that most people were completely down with a new wizard of oz that had none of the hallmarks of what they liked that's interesting that you say that because I think that the film tried to deceive people. Right. Now, if you go online, you can easily type it up and just go, okay, does this have anything to do with it? No, not really. They had to do all these legal skirting and stuff like that. But to the average viewer, they don't know that. So they think what they're getting is a prequel to the 1939 film and they go see it. And that, that was kind of the devious trick that Disney was pulling at that time was they were basically tricking you and the viewers to go see the film. 
Right. That's the thing. It's it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a trick. It's supposed to be a trick to get people to spend their money. And it worked. It didn't work that well, but it worked. <laughs> no, it did. And and but like the reception was poor. They initially had an idea of a sequel and it never mm-hmm. ever made it off the writing room table. Yeah. I can't. I think that this would have been closed in like a like four years. Really? I don't, there's no. <laughs> you look at this thing. This would have to be a billion dollar project. Yes, and Galaxy's Edge would have eaten it alive. <laughs> it's like you know we spent a billion dollars here, but eh, that's. I'm sorry, but that's kind of like the people who say that Galaxy's Edge is going to become like Aladdin. Yeah, that's stupid. But it, you know what the smart idea is? Is you turn that big gateway into a black box with projection mapping, mm. and then you can close it and just make it whatever the hell you want. Right. Star yeah, Wars and Star Wars. Yeah. Now it's the Galaxy Star Cruiser. There's a restaurant <laughs> in this one. And you have to take a black box to go to see it. That's right. Oh, boy. <laughs> So we got them to build it or not. Um, I feel like I know exactly what you're going to say, but should we build this or not? Uh, I don't even think it's a question, <laughs> so I won't answer it. Uh, uh, no, absolutely not. It, this would have been a waste of space. It, it never would have appeased anybody who wanted a Wizard of Oz to try. Like, that's the thing. If I'm a Star Wars fan, no matter what side of the internet i'm from no matter how old i am no matter how many i've seen if i like star wars galaxy's edge has something for me right and it will it will it will i don't think i mean people whine and moan about it not being tattooing right but i do think that it captures enough of star wars and what people feel when they watch star wars that it's a successful translation of what people expect when they see the name star wars i think with this People are going to see the name Wizard of Oz, get a very, very, very vivid mental image, visit, and hate it. So they, mm. they completely dodged a bullet with this. I respect Tony Baxter for trying to explore new technology and try to get the Wizard of Oz into Disneyland, but I think it would have just been an absolute mess. Yeah. No, I I agree. Actually, I think that I would... I'm, I'm going to say this with like kind of like a of a caveat so i think that if it was built and they got the rights to the 1939 film yes do it but most likely they wouldn't so i say no 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 don't build it because it's worthless without that film they tricked people into seeing the james franco movie which is dull and bad because they thought that this was directly connected but it wasn't not really they just kind of skirted the legal ramp on it and I don't think people would have cared if this didn't have anything to do with it. So unlike, unless it looks like Emerald City, unless it looks like Munchkinland, don't do it. Don't do it at all. So yeah, no, no, don't build it. <laughs> I agree. So <laughs> that's I guess. I mean, it's just a bad idea. Mm-hmm. It's a bad idea. And you know what's funny? But I will say one one little thing just to prove that I'm changing. It's my New Year's resolution to not be so much of a cynic. I said the same thing about Mission Breakout, and I hate it, but Ryan likes it, so maybe <laughs> maybe it would have turned out well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, some people might have liked it. You know, maybe 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 the technology would have just been so amazing that you know yeah. <laughs> it could have absolutely outweighed the fact that no one cares about the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so 
That ends our Frontierland expansion series. Uh, that was fun. We'll have more series as we go into the future. Uh, we have two more planned for this year, in fact. So we'll, we'll get into that, but we'll do some regular episodes coming up. Uh, in the meantime, please follow us on social media on Twitter at UnbuiltPod. You can reach me at OpenMothersMail and Ryan Dorman at OpenTheDorman. Feel free to email us at UnbuiltPod at gmail.com and rate us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Anchor, or wherever you find this podcast. Please write a review and tell us how we're doing. And if you don't like us, thank you for listening to Almost Cult Classics on Drew Ramoni. Bye! See ya!